Bonanas for Bonanza with Dalton Wilcox is out now. Listen to cowboy poet Dalton Wilcox and his guests recap Bonanza every other Monday. Subscribe now on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. Oh boy, we're here. We're here. We're not here. We're in our homes. Yeah, still in our homes. Um, let's see. So, yo, is this racist? Andrew T. Tony Newsome. Great. This is a podcast where we listen to your voicemail questions about racism and we answer them with the help of special guests. But this episode is completely different. Yeah. So we we um, we'll we'll just do our you know everything's nothing's normal. Maybe nothing will ever be normal again, <laughs> but. Um, we had Congressman Mark Takano on. Um, he's uh, the congressman from Riverside County, 41st District of California. Um, and it just seemed like a time to um, talk. Specifically, we, we had some things to just talk about. The, um, the way COVID-19 is um, affecting Asian Americans. Um, and just generally, you know, talk to a congressman instead of a comedian. Um, yeah. And uh, he's pretty funny. Yeah. Um, the the interview, you know, he's very well spoken, and so the interview's um, a little less comedy than we normally do. Yeah. But um, <laughs> in general, he's a chill, pretty chill, light guy. Uh, yeah. It's got to be so hard to be a politician. You're just like constantly worried about what you say. But oh God. Um, yeah. Look, we're not. He, he was actually really cool to talk to. Yeah, we're not in comedy times. Um, so on that note, yeah, there obviously we don't have jack shit in terms of new racism news everything's kind of the same it feels like um yeah tawny how are you doing uh i'm good i i thought um instead of uh racism news we could use this time to each maybe share a thing or two that has been helpful to us because uh Mm -hmm. i know a lot of people are just interested in ways to fill their time and all that stuff and i don't know maybe some dumb shit thing you or i is doing could help somebody what do you think of that yeah um Am I doing anything helpful? I have not gotten drunk during the day yet, so that's good. Um, this is your—I love it. <laughs> and no, actually, one thing—one thing I did last weekend that was kind of nice was um, uh, did a like a, a FaceTime meal with with some some of my friends, but we all got dim sum at the same time. So uh, this feels this is small and probably. I don't know. For some reason, it was helpful to me that everyone was eating the same thing at the same time, even mm. if we weren't together. Um, I've done that a couple more times. Um, and look, wildly privileged to be able to do that and to to order food and, and many of those things. Um, but yeah, it helped me. I love that. Um, I have been taking solace in uh, projects around my um, bunker compound um, uh, apocalypse destination. Uh, So I'm renovating an old Avion trailer that's been sitting here since the summer that I really wasn't going to get to until the summer. But uh, I had a bunch of scraps laying around. So, you know, just making weird shit and stapling it together and getting in small fights with Nate about... (laughs) <laughs> the angled curves of bent wood and whatnot. Yeah. So, you know, just domestic strife, but in the flavor of an HGTV show. Yeah. It's it's not even strife. It's just nice to argue about something that isn't 
death. Whether or not he has a cough or I have a cough. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's kind of nice. Yeah. Um, um, but yeah, but just projects. Yeah. You know, to the extent that you can keep busy, I think that's nice. Yeah. Jordan, what about you? Do you have anything uh, that's been helpful? Anything you've been watching or reading? Oh, okay. So I have been, I watched I Am Not Okay With This on Netflix, hmm. which is pretty interesting show. Uh, but the other helpful thing is, uh, since I'm a musician, I've been playing a lot more than I was able to do even before the quarantine. So, and I got That's a good. new, I bought a new guitar right before everyone was kind of on lockdown. So it's nice to hang out with a guitar. Oh, Ooh, good timing. Yeah. Nice. I look forward to your upcoming um, isolation album. <laughs> uh, Alex, what you got? You got anything cool? Well, same with Jordan. I, uh, I've been um, really enjoying uh, getting to know the piano again. I've made a nice list of songs I want to like learn closely. But also um, Animal Crossing is an amazing <laughs> new game. And I, I like uh, making my little island where everything is pure and there is no disease. And you can simply get on in the world by offering um, small tasks. And um, it makes me optimistic. <laughs> I love that. That's great. Video games, y'all. Uh, Peaceful video right? games. Um, I don't know. Kev, you want to jump in on this? We got Kev hanging out in our session. Sure. I've been um, watching. Uh, well, I learned about a new Olympics, new to me Olympic sport called rhythmic gymnastics. <laughs> um, <laughs> what was the it's, previous it's, gymnastics? <laughs> I guess soulless. <laughs> Arhythmic gymnastics. Uh-huh. Um, and it's people doing, and it's an Olympic sport of people doing gymnastics, but they're holding a ball or a ribbon mm-hmm. and spinning it around. And it's been uh, very nice just having a glass of wine and watching people uh, do a choreography with a ball in uh, Ukraine. Oh. And just enjoying life. Yeah. All right, from Just the from doing the before activities times. that a cat does. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I basically changed to a cat during the lockdown. That's not bad. Okay, well, before we get to the interview, we just have another piece of s- somewhat uh, sad. I was going to say bittersweet, but there's really nothing sweet about it. Yeah. Um, our wonderful interim producer Alex uh, is departing. It's a major bummer because Alex really jumped in at a time when, you know, we were so thrilled for Zig to step away and pursue his dreams and have a great opportunity, but it was super abrupt and there, you know, there was just no time to kind of like bring in a person the way that Earwolf would have normally done it. And so Alex just being like a longtime friend of mine and, you know, someone who's adept with technology and also a comedy writer was just someone that I trusted completely to help, you know, take over kind of this, you know, the transition and the like logistics and everything. So it was just a big job and a big undertaking. And he did that for us. And now um, we have to, well, we don't, but um, our giant parent company is asking him to depart. Yep. And I don't want to bring too much negativity to it, but I do just have to talk about the fact that, You know, it's going to be tough times for everyone. And I know a lot of people are losing their sources of income. And so I'm super empathetic to that as someone who works in a fluid capacity myself, but has a little bit more 
just like uh, privilege and savings happening. I, I just have great sympathy for people who don't have that. And so I will hope I will. I'm just going to say that I will hope that our giant media company that runs our lovely company of Stitcher and Earwolf and all that will see that during this time when everyone's trapped at home, the only thing anyone is doing are listening to podcasts. So if we can maintain some sense of normalcy for all of our employees, for all of the people who depend on this income during a time when this company is at worst, probably doing about the same, if not doing much, much better. I think that that empathy and that uh, that just yeah, that empathy is needed for all of our people. And so that's no one that we work with directly. Everyone's been a real champ in dealing with me yelling at them over emails for shit that's not their fault. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I think just in general, if companies that have the means to continue to support artists can do so. Yeah. I think it'll really fucking help because a lot of people are about to be hurting. But anyway, so that's my, I told Andrew, I just had to rant about this. No, no, no. That's perfect. I said, consider yeah. this my Andrew Yang, <laughs> <laughs> except I work for him. <laughs> um, um, I, I don't but, know why, why I, no, I don't get to be good cop. You keep talking. Go ahead. No, just, but the positive shit, I do want to end it on the positive thing. Yeah. Thank you, Alex. Is that um, Alex really did us a wonderful favor and change the way we run this show immeasurably and we're going to continue to implement all the things that he did for us mm-hmm. so thank you to my friend and um everybody else reach out to him on social media and thank him at a kleiner on all the things yeah we even we even asked him if there was anything we could plug to help and he was like no alexkleiner.com but yeah hire hire alex to write your music your theme songs he wrote this theme song scores comedy he's a fucking mm-hmm. hilarious dude that's it um alex anything you want to say before we go away i just i just want everyone to make sure to check in on your large international media corporations and make sure they're doing okay during this trying time we all have to make little sacrifices and i just want to make sure that uh, the large media empires are taken care of be good to each other everyone be Mm -hmm. good to each other and i'll be back hell yeah now let's uh talk to an elected official well, we are very excited to be sitting here with uh, a different type of interview mm-hmm. that I think you guys will love because this person is smart, uh, mm-hmm. which is a departure from our usual brand. <laughs> no shade to our previous guests. That's a dig only at Andrew and I. Yeah, that's a me, uh, that's a me problem. But we're super excited to be here and lucky to be here with uh, Congressman Mark Takano, who represents the 41st District, Riverside County, right? Yeah. Riverside County. That's correct. Shout out to Riverside, man. I've definitely been to a Chipotle or two there. <laughs> a Chipotle? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like Riverside is always the place I stop for lunch. And oh, like, you man. know. Right? When uh, you're when you're driving to somewhere further south? I'll do you one better. I've been to the boiling crab out there with my cousins. Hell yeah. <laughs> well, you know, there there's great places in Riverside to eat. A lot of great Mexican food. Notice mm-hmm. that I your listeners can't see that we are talking to each other on Zoom. And so I was dying to itch something on my face, but I got a Kleenex and did that instead. So I'm trying oh, to very comply with I'm trying to comply with the presidential directives, you know, the the guidance on Yeah. Oh my god. Um, wash your hands. Uh, I should say, Andrew, before you got here, um, the congressman and I were talking about what our current footwear is as we all sit comfortably in our homes. Um 
I revealed that I am in a, a an UGG slipper, a house shoe. Um, mm. I'll let I'll let the congressman choose if he wants to reveal his footwear choice. I'm barefoot right now. Hell Ooh. yeah, that's very strong, Andrew. I Andrew, I have uh, fuzzy slippers, fuzzy sort of. I think they're from LL Bean. I've been trying to I've been trying to up my nice. my indoor footwear game because um, I'm you know Asian person compelling everyone else to take off their shoes. So trying to trying to make myself comfy. Uh, Congressman, how are you holding up uh, in these times? I'm doing fine. You know, uh, my days fill up with actually a lot of work, mm -hmm. and I'm saying that I do want my people to know that I'm actually working. Uh, I'm. A lot, of, a lot of conference calls. There's a lot yeah. of conference calls. Uh, but at the end of the day, uh, or in between, uh, uh, well, mo most of my days filled up. But on the weekends, on Friday, mm -hmm. um, I, I get on uh, Facebook and I start recording cooking videos of me cooking in the kitchen. And that's, you know, people really like that. My constituents, people all over the country who follow me on Facebook like when I'm showing them that I made chili verde it was my first. I got I had a real <laughs> honest craving, and I haven't been able to do cooking for myself in a long time, and so to be Ooh. home for a while, I just made this huge pot of chili verde, which I put into little containers and I ate for most of the week, and then, um, and then I then I had a craving for uh, for eggplant parmesan, and so I went to the to the sprouts that's across the street from me, mm -hmm. and got a big, a couple, not big, there are a couple of eggplants, and uh, made some eggplant parmesan, and people were just like, the the amount of engagement was really high. Oh, that's and, great. Uh, well, I think it's I call it comfort food during yeah. COVID nineteen. COVID nineteen comfort food. We we need to like <laughs> uh, find ways. You know, I, I'm trying to show people creative ways to. Uh, hang out at home and yeah. not not be bored of the solitude or you know, frankly the loneliness we feel. Yeah, you know. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, yeah. So people and I, I have time to kind of, un, you know, engage and 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 respond to people. We're not talking about politics. So I'm not going to get into a whole, you of know, course. this or that. Uh, well, we sometimes we get into it, but really, we it, the food gives us something else to talk about. Yeah, you know? and uh, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I, go, I didn't know you could cook, Congressman. I didn't know you could cook. <laughs> <laughs> that is something that's been interesting about this time is it's been very strangely humanizing in that, you know, we're all kind of reduced to these somewhat like methodical tasks. Yeah. And so w what we're consuming is we're sort of watching people, you know, I live in a rural place. And so the other day my husband was just like stacking a bunch of wood, <laughs> a bunch of firewood, and he just stacked wood for like two hours and people messaged him and said that was really calming. I think people are just enjoying watching everyone just yeah. kind of exist and survive. Um, I mean, honestly, is, though, wood stacking content, we should talk about that after the after the pandemic's over because it seems like there's a future in that. Oh, you think we should try and monetize it? Yeah, let's get let's get let's get the wood stacking <laughs> show going. Um, actually, though, I, uh, yeah. uh, uh, what what we're just talking about, like, you know, not being a political act, there's probably you know, it speaks probably ill of our times that merely, you know, staying inside and cooking and surviving is bordering on a political act at this point. Yeah, very much so. Yeah, I think I think that's right. Um, staying, uh, staying at home, uh, 
is a political act. It's a social act. It's mm -hmm. a an individual act all at once. I mean, it's it's harmonizing all three of these sorts of identities together, right? I mean, mm -hmm. we're trying to take care of ourselves. Uh, we're trying to be socially responsible. Um, and at the political level, uh, the sense of trying to maintain our body politic, um, we know that if, if a pandemic rages out of control, that creates social instability and also political instability. And so mm -hmm. we, we have to keep all of these things in mind, right? So um, uh, social distancing uh, is, uh, I don't know, an act of, uh, it, it takes imagination. It, yeah. it, it takes imagination and creativity to carry it off, I think. Yeah. What do you all think of that? <laughs> I think that's, that sounds wise and, and very doable. <laughs> no, it's so well. It's it's like I I feel like in these in the moment, especially with people like struggling with this, and and now we're in a time where there's debate over the value of this. Um, mm -hmm. You know, uh, uh, to me personally, the the idea of weighing the costs of social distancing and 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 any other pandemic sort of. Um, behaviors uh, to help alleviate it versus not is feels revolting to me but you know I, I yeah that's that's why it's you know nice to hear sort of just like a you know practiced politician who knows what the hell they're talking about explain <laughs> explain it in a in a good way I, the the other thing so so congressman your office reached out initially um closer to last week's episode but we just didn't have time to get it together um because um, needless to say, uh, uh, important thing, um, you know, the, the identity politic thing that is important to, or is new for a lot of Asian Americans, I think, is the sort of um, COVID versus uh, China virus, Chinese virus, however we want to put it. Um, and I know that was sort of a thing you wanted to talk about. Yeah. Well, the president was getting into an awful, a lot of... Uh, conflicts with the press who wanted to ask him about uh, whether he was going to continue to use the term China virus or Chinese virus. Um, other other uh, people in the government, senators uh, like Senator Grassley um, weighed in and uh, basically in endorsed um, you know, what the president was saying and doing. And uh, so did Senator Cornyn of Texas. You know, uh, he actually said, well, it's true, isn't it? I mean, they, and he then began to cite the kinds of uh, food uh, that the Chinese eat and then perpetuated um, uh, another kind of narrative out there about the Chinese eating exotic foods. And, you know, there are exotic foods in China, but if you've mm -hmm. been to China, it's like, uh, not everybody uh, is eating, uh, you know, those those pandolins or uh, the the <laughs> those animals in, in in the Wuhan market. The, the markets. I mean, I'm not going to say the markets don't exist. Of course. But it, it it the way that Asian people in Asia uh, is depicted uh, when uh, senior members of our government, including the president. Uh, want to associate the name of a virus with a, a nation 
or mm-hmm. a cer- or in, and by implication, it's also uh, associated with uh, an ethnic group, a racial group. Um, it, it begins to have consequences for people here who are of Asian descent, who are Asian yeah. immigrants, and who are many for many generations, uh, who might be here for many generations as my family has been, um, uh, Asian Americans are affected by uh, this sort of language and the way that the, the president characterizes um, a virus. Yeah. And he doesn't have to do that. He doesn't have to choose to make the choice mm-hmm. to call the virus the China virus or the Chinese virus. He can call it the COVID-19 virus. He can call it a coronavirus. Um, and so the so this justification that, well, I'm just, it, it comes from China, doesn't it? Why can't I call it the China virus? <laughs> um, and then they, there was an explanation, I don't forget who said, uh, you know, the Spanish flu. You know, uh, uh, well, as it turns out, the Spanish flu didn't come from Spain. Uh, it might have, frankly, come from Kansas. Yeah. Although that's, we're not 100% sure that it came from Kansas, right? Yeah. So, um, why did we call, they called they call it the Spanish flu because most of the press was censored during World War One, And uh, President Wilson and the powers that be didn't want the public to be demoralized by news of a deadly flu that was being spread around. And, you know, in many ways it could have been called the American flu. It could have been called, you know, the Kansas flu. Um, but, you know, but I'm not even sure that, it, you know, we can definitively say it came from Kansas, but it was definitely noticed, first noticed mm-hmm. in Kansas. And it'd be called the Spanish flu because the Spanish press didn't censor it. It was, the news was surfacing and there, therefore became known as Spanish flu. Yeah. I'm not disputing that this virus originated in China, uh, but we don't have to call it yeah. the China virus because there's a whole lot of other practical consequences that flow from that. All right. It's really funny, I think, like the, uh, you know, because we are podcasters, but we're also, uh, at least I am, a very belligerent person on Twitter. And to me, when I argue with racists or see them, it's 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 remarkable that they seem to think that what it's accurate is somehow a defense, um, even mm. if it, it, you know, say, though the the virus um, may have jumped from animals to humans in China, um, you know, it, it's it's this thing where there is a name, and you are rhetorically trying to link it to Chinese people, and in America, by extension, that means pretty much all at least East Asian people. Um, but it's, it's just so funny. I, I mean, the, the, the retort that I haven't bothered putting back, it's like, if you've ever heard, like, you know, anyone on Fox News say the word black in reference to people and know that they're saying the N-word, it's the same thing. It's like, yes, it's accurate. <laughs> that doesn't mean the rhetoric isn't there. The accuracy does not take away the connotation and the consequences that it creates for people here in the U.S. and how people are treated when this frightening, deadly pandemic is constantly linked to people who look a certain way. Yeah. Well, and especially in in America, it's like, you know, the, 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 the fact that people were, you know, boycotting Chinese and Asian restaurants, but, you know, will go to an Italian restaurant is also naked racism. I mean, maybe it's slightly less consequential, but 
Um, Congressman, the other thing that actually has happened since last week is I feel like now that well, are, can I? Oh, please go ahead. Can I kind of respond to that thought? Because you know, Mussolini was a fascist dictator in Italy, and we were at war with Italy as well as we were with Germany, mm-hmm. and. But yet, only Japanese, Americans of Japanese descent and Japanese immigrants were interned, Mm -hmm. right? And there were efforts to round up uh, uh, subversives who were were Italian, but it was highly impractical to try and and put in internment camps all the people of German descent, all the people of Italian descent, uh, and it was harder to kind of separate them out, the population, right? So uh, there's some relationship to what you just said there about people going to not wanting to go to Chinese restaurants or Asian restaurants, uh, but going to Italian restaurants. Yeah. So uh, right, and then people coming. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Well, as soon as whiteness is on the table, it's like impractical all of a sudden. (laughs) Well, pretty much. I think. um, uh, Yeah. it, it, It. It. When you. When you it, it, let's just say it wasn't consistent. Let's yeah. say what happened, the policy in uh, 1942 uh, wasn't consistent. It was later turned out to be unfounded and unjustifiable that the government had withheld uh, key bits of information uh, from the Supreme Court. Uh, and believe it or not, even Edgar J. Hoover, uh, who did a lot of things that I didn't, uh, that I thought were reprehensible with regard to the civil rights movement. He actually did, recommended to the president, um, his recommendations were that the Japanese Americans not be interned. Mm-hmm. He, he didn't, he actually didn't agree with that. I mean, I was, I was preparing a speech oh, please. Uh, before yes. F, F, FBI employees, and I thought I was going to be able to say something really negative about, F, about J. Edgar Hoover with regard to this moment in history, and I was kind of stunned and surprised. If I, I did a quick Wikipedia search as I'm my way over to the... <laughs> yeah, like, that's my fact-checking. <laughs> but at least I fact-checked, right? So, yeah. Uh, and I, I couldn't lay into the Jacob Hoover. I thought I was going to be, like, say this very uh, apt and apropos thing at, in the FBI building, but then I, I found that Jacob Hoover didn't do that. So, Interesting. As as podcasters with a limited relationship to fact checking, anyway, we we sympathize with the losing your mic drop opportunity. That's yeah. that's rough. Um, but thank you for doing the fact checking that we certainly would not have done. Yeah, that's very yes. smart. Um, yeah. Well, I, I guess so. The the thing that you know has been coming up since um, you know we were in contact about having you on the show has been you know now there. Are, uh, several reports. People, previous guests of the show, uh, Jeff Yang was sort of um, uh, a white woman in a parking lot coughed at him, and I, I don't remember what she said exactly. It's on Twitter somewhere. But but there are now sort of being reports, even in places like uh, Los Angeles, where you would think um, you know there's a larger Asian population, and the stereotype, or Southern California, the stereotype is of course people are more tolerant or less racist. Um, Less, less, but not zero. Um, I don't know. Is has there been any? Um, and and I know, um, uh, Congressman, your your um, district is obviously relatively 
quite Asian compared to the rest of the United States. Uh, have you been actually, hearing stuff? Oh, actually, my, my district is um, probably mostly the biggest ethnic group or racial group is Latino. Oh, okay. I, mean, white, I think white, white Anglos are maybe slightly more. They might be actually the minority. It's a minority. It's a majority majority district. Majority minority district. So, the the biggest voting block is Latinos. I would say the second largest voting block is uh, African American. Mm-hmm. They're probably seven to eight percent of the district. They might vote closer to ten percent and okay. the turnout. And then Asians make up maybe four or five percent. Oh, even maybe like four percent. So yeah. close close to actually baseline for the United States ish. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, that's so, interesting. Um, yeah, and um, I've lived here all my life. Was born and raised here. So uh, anyway, I interrupted you. What was? Where were you going with this? Oh, uh, oh I, about about people. About yeah. people normally. What yeah. If, what if you heard? Um, you know, have you been hearing things from constituents or anything? You know, truly, just what has your experience been with this? And and as a person with you know some level of visibility and you know on this well, issue? you know, I don't. I don't represent a place like San Gabriel, the San Gabriel Valley, or Monterey Park, mm-hmm. like my my colleague and friend Judy Chu does. Uh, so um, we do have Asian-owned businesses here, and I have not heard of they've not called in to me mm-hmm. uh, and complained. But you know, Judy has told me about uh, a fall off in business mm-hmm. um, at some of the businesses within. You know her 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 district, and we are, you know, the Congressional Asian Pacific American Caucus of which I'm a member, and Judy is the chair. I'm a kind of a, I, I have a vice chair title with that caucus. Um, we've certainly been getting news from concerned activists across the country that Asian Americans are being targeted um, uh, by random. Encounters in public, uh, uh, you know. I, I have to say myself, I wonder about the implications about my deciding to wear a mask. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, if I should wear a mask or not wear a mask if I'm on an airplane, uh, because I'm Asian, will that mean that other people think that uh, I I may have the virus? Um, there's there's extra weighted meaning for an Asian person to wear a mask, right? Mm-hmm. And so uh, there's extra attention on us. So, uh, you know, I, I heard that disturbing story about the, the, middle, the middle school um, young man that was the, 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 uh, the boy in middle school in uh, somewhere in the valley mm-hmm. uh, who was somehow singled out by his classmates who said that, um, you know, that he had the virus and uh, he was you know, beaten up. Uh, people, Random people are doing things uh, on subways. Um, mm-hmm. You know, uh, people are yelled at, um, might in some cases spit at. Um, so uh, there has been this uptick uh, in aggression toward Asian Americans. The way I explain it is... Um, when you have leadership at the presidential level that uh, gives credence to the way people, or validates people's irrational anger, um, I mean, I think anger is understandable. Um, 
What's irrational about the anger is that it's directed in a kind of uh, indiscriminate way toward a category of people. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's mass blame or mass guilt that's assigned to, you know, a, a whole category of people because of their characteristics, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's the, that's the phenomenon I see here. So I see a certain number of unstable people who, if pushed to the edge, will begin to act out. Then I see a larger subset of people who are angry. Um, it, it, it was not a small number of people during World War, at the beginning of World War II, who began to be, began to demand that Japanese Americans be interned and removed from their homes. Um, that grew out of hysteria in the press, um, a national emergency uh, that uh, the nation was at war, created a sort of wartime hysteria. And there were no Asian Americans in Congress. Mm-hmm. Uh, historians call that mo- that chapter, that sad chapter, a failure of political leadership. Mm-hmm. And uh, in order to prevent that failure from happening again, I, I, we need to humanize. So a, having Asian Americans in Congress, having Asian Americans in public life, uh, humanizes Asian Americans. Uh, you know, we have the ability to actually go up to the people, our colleagues in Congress, and say, "Is this really necessary?" Right? Uh, and I have, I think, even though I don't represent like a Monterey Park or San Gabriel, I'm an Asian American in Congress, and I still have on my shoulder. I can't like turn my back on uh, people who are Asian, and mm-hmm. I. I got to say to the president, uh, or I, I don't talk to the president. <laughs> I, I, I mean, we don't have this sort of daily I mean, me either, but. Yeah. But I, I stop returning I his calls. The president, <laughs> I say to him, you know, I, I, when I'm asked about him, I just say, look, he, he's, he's, he's uh, it's beneath him and the office to uh, be showing such disrespect uh, to a part of America, and also endangering them mm-hmm. by validating uh, other people's fears. And so you have, again, you have a a, a, a small number of people that are going to be kind of on the edge mental health-wise, uh, you know, consistently. But then in a time of a national emergency, like the one we're experiencing now, you're going to have a bigger share of the public that's going to be anxious, fearful, uh, and uh, want to direct their anger at something. And um, it's unfair of the president to, uh, through irresponsible use of words, uh, allow people that, uh, to have that anger you know, be directed toward people who look Asian, who are yeah. Asian. I, I guess I would, without putting words in your mouth, I, w- I would, for myself, say, I don't know if the racism is beneath the man, but it's beneath the office. Um, <laughs> sorry, just had to, <laughs> had to put the dig in. When so much is uncertain and there's so little uh, actionable information for people to focus on, it seems particularly dangerous to give people a uh, a, a racial group to identify as any sort of enemy or any sort of 
you know, people are just going to run with it because they're afraid, rightly so, because things are scary. But it, it just seems so such a heightened, frightening time to do anything but be completely unifying. It, it's it's wild to me. This isn't a question. It's just me saying this is the worst way. <laughs> this is the worst time to single out an ethnic group. Yeah, it's it's wrong to single out an ethnic group, and it's not useful for us to try and ascribe blame to a nation. Um, it is okay for President Trump and leaders of our nation to call into question the decisions of the Chinese leadership and to want to hold them accountable. But I get the feeling that's being mixed in with trying to uh, shift responsibility for the failings of, say, the American response. And look, uh, whether it was a Democratic or Republican president, uh, I have a feeling this nation really wasn't up to uh, a pandemic response. Um, you know, uh, certain, I mean, I, I don't want to litigate, there'll be plenty of time to litigate uh, what President Trump uh did or didn't do in terms of the national security post uh, related to pandemics that he eliminated or the budget requests. Uh, but I, what I'm trying to say is that I think we, uh, as a country, uh, were caught flat-footed. And, uh, and, and in some ways, just structurally, it's more difficult for... We're not an authoritarian culture. We're not an authoritarian... We don't have an authoritarian... We have, we do have, a, I believe, a soft authoritarian person who is the president. I mean, he, he, the way he talks, the way, and soft, soft authoritarian is a word that I've been, I've been reading. I mean, it's a very, it's kind of an academic word. Yeah. But, um, because it doesn't quite feel right to call him. It'd be, it'd be hyperbolic to call President Trump uh, Hitler or Mussolini. Mm-hmm. Um, I think people are afraid, unchecked. Uh. He's heading in that direction. He's heading in that direction. Yeah. Uh, but it is hyperbolic to say uh, that he is his Hitler. Sure. Uh, but we can say that he seems to admire authoritarians and uh, uh, doesn't stand up to them. Uh, and that the way he talks is kind of authoritarian. Yep. And that kind of bothers those of us that like that, right? So... He, you know, before he started going heavy on China virus and calling it the China virus, he was like saying things like, oh, she's doing a great job. Like she, in this case, being Xi Jinping, not mm-hmm. she, some female. He's like, Correct. She, she's doing a terrific job and the Chinese doing a fantastic job. And that's when he was not really, I think, cognizant of the real peril of the virus to the United States. And I don't think he was fully... That's my impression, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's what I see from afar. And, um, but now that it, it started to get serious, uh, and it was clear that we didn't have enough tests, uh, that we are, this is a national embarrassment that we don't have enough tests, mm-hmm. and um, that uh, uh, the response uh, was gonna, that we really are caught flat-footed as the federal government, that um, suddenly, suddenly he wants to use the word China virus, and uh, 
wants to he wants to sort of deflect uh, the shortcomings of the response and the very very far from perfect, far from stellar job that's coming from the federal government onto the Chinese. Now look, I am an anti-authoritarian. I do not like authoritarian leaders. I believe in liberal democracy. Mm-hmm. My big fear is that a liberal democracy is on the ropes as it was in the 1930s, uh, that we have uh, this sort of uh, soft authoritarian populism uh, sort of on the rise in many European countries and even in Asia, uh, and uh, that we need to uh, get behind uh, uh, or put faith in and be optimistic about the ability of liberal democratic governments uh, to solve uh, uh, people's problems, to solve the problems of the world. And uh, this nationalism is a real problem. So look, it's not only an issue of our unifying as a nation, but it's also uh, reestablishing the value of cooperation internationally. Mm-hmm. Look, the Chinese have begun to manufacture personal protective equipment in face masks uh, in large quantities. They, they have a, har- a huge manufacturing base. We do have to address the shortcomings in supply lines here in the national emergency. Part of the reason that we have short of the test is that we don't manufacture these chemicals called reagents domestically, and we depend uh, on foreign sources for the chemicals that we need to identify the COVID-19 virus uh, in a quick uh, and uh, expansive way. Uh, and we don't, we, we, we're gonna have, a, we're not prepared in a pandemic to have the kinds of personal protective equipment and masks and gowns to actually take samples from people and to treat people. And uh, we do need China's help. Yeah. Uh, we need to beef up our, we need to beef up our own manufacturing capacity, but we also need China's help. And so um, it doesn't, needing China's help does not mean that we don't uh, continue to oppose Xi Jinping's lifelong presidency. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, you know, he's declared him president, you know, he declared himself leader for life. It doesn't mean that we approve of uh, the Uyghur uh, mm-hmm. internment camps and the ways in which they might have uh, not uh, treated Uyghurs properly during the raging pandemic in China. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, there's a whole long list of things that we need to hold them accountable for mm-hmm. uh, and call them out on. Uh, but we don't need to be unfair and, and say, uh, this is the China virus. Um, yeah. And... Uh, you know, China's, China's mad because, uh, well, the Ameri- are. I mean, I have a lot of colleagues who are mad at China right now because uh, officials within the Chinese government have said that uh, the American military is responsible for spreading this virus, which is really untrue. It's fake. It is. This is real fake news. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Get that real fake news? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> actual fake news. Real, yeah. it's, actual, it's actual fake news. And, um, uh, but you know what? We had U.S. senators out there per- propagating fake news, actual fake news about the Chinese yeah. manufacturing this virus in their, uh, as bioweapons. And this somehow got outside their laboratory. And I heard Dr. Fauci himself 
right. uh, in a briefing before Congress, categorically say this is not true, that this was a naturally occurring virus that happened in nature. This was not an invention of the Chinese government. And so everybody's got to cut it out. Yeah. You know, American senators have got to cut it out. I denounce, China's got to denounce their own people who are saying this. And uh, because this is going to get in the way of a global response right. to this virus, you know? Like actually accomplishing something that, yeah, nature, nature doesn't yeah. care about your political rhetoric one way or the other. What's up, it's your girl, Tawny Newsome. Hello. This is Andrew T. Our podcast, Yo, Is This Racist?, has some premium bonus episodes coming soon. On these bonus episodes, we'll be taking additional voicemails that are, quote, too hot too for the hot. main feed. That's right. Get your extra half hour of roasting racists every Friday starting <laughs> May 1st. What's that, Andrew? Toddy came up with a great name for this already. Yo, is this racist on Stitcher Premium? Uh, it's just us. It's just the Yo team. It's just me, Andrew, Matt. Maybe Jordan will pepper in here. Who knows? Maybe Kev. Maybe Kev will weigh in. It's going to be Any a family show. Any thing could happen. <laughs> Absolutely. No guest, just voicemails. Some voicemails that are follow-ups or things that we didn't want to drop in the main feed because it's not normally what we do. That's what's going to mm-hmm. be in the Yo Is This Racist catalog. Oh, and if you're a racist that calls in thinking that we'll give you attention, we might just put you on Yo Is This Racist. So you have to sign up and pay money to get your little racist jollies. That's right. Now, if you don't have Stitcher Premium, I'm going to tell you something. You can go to stitcherpremium.com and use the promo code YO for a one month free trial. How about that? That is dope. YO is this raciest premium bonus episodes coming out 5-1 on Stitcher Premium. For a free one month trial of Stitcher Premium, use code YO. That's Y-O for a free month of Stitcher Premium. Howdy folks, it's me, Dalton Wilcox, Poet Laureate of the West. I'm happy to announce that the City Slickers at Earwolf have finally given me my own podcast. It's called Bananas for Bonanza. In each episode, me and my co-hosts, Mutt Taylor from The Journeyman and Christian entrepreneur Amy Sleverson will discuss one episode of the classic television western series Bonanza. It's the only podcast you'll ever need about the only television show that ever was. Bananas for Bonanza is out now with new free episodes every other Monday. Listen in Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also listen to bonus episodes of Bananas for Bonanza only on Stitcher Premium. For a free month of Stitcher Premium, go to stitcherpremium.com and use the promo code BANANAS. Bananas for Bonanza. That's bananas spelled correctly. B-O-N-A-N-A-S. One thing that we've talked a lot about on the show since 2016 is the idea that even when our listeners feel helpless, there's a lot that can be accomplished on the local level. You know, that's that's sort of yeah. like reinvigorating that, you know, national mm-hmm. politics, all it really comes down to truly in the end is um, helping people or hurting people. And that's what power is one way or the other. And, and so... So one thing, you know, uh, I and definitely personally have been talking a lot about is, you know, the local more. But obviously, you know, as you've been saying, we're talking about a thing that is, you know, requires 
national, if not international power to address, I think, international power. I don't know. I, I guess I'm just wondering, is there anything that you've been um, saying to people or encouraging people to do on a personal level that, that can help or, or do anything if people feel powerless in this time? Well, um, I tell people to uh, keep their spirits up at home, uh, to, uh, that this is going to be a time of, uh, of extraordinary self-discipline. Um, I talk about our, I'm making the comparison between the individual and the nation, that our nation was conceived in liberty and self-government. We wanted to govern ourselves and not be subjects of a king. And self-government meant we the people, you know, do establish and ordain this constitution. So we were, we, we were, we were governing ourselves. That's very powerful in the sense of thinking about our individual identity, if you think about it. It's, it's not just nations that govern themselves, it's you and me that govern ourselves in our individual existence. And like a government that's struggling uh, to be rational, uh, and to not be, this is, isn't this light, this is a great phrase from our founders, light and transient, mm -hmm. light and transient reason. I think that's from the Declaration of Independence, we're light, uh, that we don't break our, we're not breaking our bonds from, I think that's from, uh, that's a Jeffersonian phrase, light and transient. Um, we don't, we want to be deeper than that. Um, uh, we don't want to be superficially reflexive. And, um, this may be a real opportunity, this, this moment may be a real opportunity for us to take a pause from our normal, acquisitive uh, instincts uh, to acquire, acquire, acquire. And, there's, and look, look, there's nothing, I'm an American, I believe in that, I believe in uh, the American dream and the opportunities our country affords us. But this pause that is imposed on us by nature, this virus that's coming from nature, uh, is an opportunity for us to develop our capacity for self-government mm -hmm. uh, in, the, in the very personal sense. Um, it's not about deliberations in councils or in committee rooms. It's about us trying to impose a sense of self-discipline uh, for the greater good. Uh, that our greatest contribution will be to stay home. Mm -hmm. uh, and to deal with our feelings of loneliness and isolation. And we have to become like that solitary artist in the studio mm -hmm. uh, uh, to pour our, our energy into creation and creativity. And for me, it's turned out to be, you know, I go into the kitchen, mm -hmm. cook something new. But, it's, but even that's got to be, you know, there's, there's a limit to that. I've got to kind of, you know, uh, deal with... The anxiety and uh, the fears and and all of the other kinds of disturbing emotions we're feeling uh, uh, by you know reading, writing, mm -hmm. thinking, planning, making plans, strategizing, uh, and really taking stock of what's important. And I think um, I think we can get through this together. We have technology to still connect us. Mm -hmm. uh, some people may not. Mm -hmm. uh, we're going to have to reach out to those people who uh, may be isolated, take care of the senior citizen that may be going through dementia, make sure that they get their food. And mm -hmm. um, It's going to take a level of care and consideration. Um, 
that could also be in a very ironic way um, nurturing to, to all of us, but we're going to have to kind of adopt a stance, mm -hmm. you know? And, I, and, I, and it's, all, it's all very American. It's all very American, this idea that we're self-governing citizens. Right. But, but like, America only works if the self-governing citizens can look out for each other, I feel. That, that's right. We're not islands. We're yeah. not islands, separate and apart and impervious. We're very much connected. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's it's a strange it's a strange uh, it's a paradox really it's paradoxical we're we're we have to stay in our homes uh, and we're doing it for the purpose of community mm -hmm. yeah <laughs> it's it's really bizarre but like normally we're like oh, we you know we cheer and dance and share food and have supper together and uh, want to go to nightclubs and want to go to restaurants and uh, uh, but. It's something we can't do, and uh, we've we've got to kind of, you know, I I, uh, I try to lead by example. I'm 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 staying in my home. I don't mm -hmm. go out to mm -hmm. get food at the supermarket. Mm -hmm. And uh, I got one of my former employees just texted me and said, "Takano, stop posting so many food <laughs> videos. Uh, you're looking you're looking like you're out of touch." You know, like really. Uh, <laughs> That's interesting. <laughs> it's like, well, she's she's looking out for me. I mean, I love sure. her. Sure, sure. She's one of my. She's a, no. she's a great former employee, and mm -hmm. I was really really broke my heart when she said she had to take on a better opportunity. But mm -hmm. I said, go go, my child. Yeah, no, <laughs> go forth just, into the world. It's just go forth in the world. You've got bigger fish to fry <laughs> than be in my office. Just interesting to think about. You know having to triangulate like a political view in this time. Just interesting. Not something obviously most of our guests have to think about. Um, <laughs> really quick though. So, so before we were chatting, before we started recording, um, you were just, we'll just, you know, try to lighten the mood a little bit, not lighten the mood. The, the mood is the mood is the mood and it's okay. But you were talking about um, how uh, people yeah. aren't sure whether to call you Gaijin or not um, in Congress. <laughs> Well, official. I mean, I wouldn't say officially, but <laughs> you know, every I, when you're, you're always got to try to break the ceiling in some way. You're the first woman in Congress, or you're the first this or that. And when I got elected, uh, or I was in the on the campaign, uh, you know, somebody thought of, oh, he, if he's elected, he'll be the first openly gay person of color ever elected to Congress. Because I, I wouldn't be the first person. Who, okay, first, open the gay person to be elected to Congress, mm -hmm. and um, I wouldn't be the first Asian elected to Congress. But the two together, I'd be the and I, and I you know, and you never know whether the people are gay or not, right? Mm -hmm. And so I used to say in speeches, you know, when I got elected in 2012, I would say, you know, we just elected the gayest Congress in history, <laughs> right? Because we had more members, and, and then I would the, the punchline is that we know of. Right. <laughs> as it turned out, somebody came out of the closet that nobody suspected uh, came out of the closet. So, um, so to say you're the first openly gay person of color to be elected to Congress is kind of long. So I just shorten it down and I say, well, just just call me the first gay, the first Gaysian <laughs> elected to Congress. I liked your and, description before we started talking. Uh, 
about different uh, of your colleagues not knowing whether or not they were allowed. <laughs> to well, but, well, yeah, because they're wondering if they're if they're gonna if they're doing something that's crossing the line. In fact, and actually, I did have a young Asian college student who uh, thought that what I was doing was by by using the term Gaijin, somehow that was wrong. I hadn't, I didn't really get the full story about why Gaijin is maybe a disrespectful term. Um, I just see it as descriptive, mm-hmm. and uh, um, you know, I, I used to tell, I used to tell a joke about that I was writing, you know, a book about my days in Congress, and that the working title was. Memoirs of a Gaijin in Congress. <laughs> See, I'm always down for a pun. <laughs> a pun so, and a portmanteau. This is delightful. <laughs> so, um, actually, what's portmanteau? I mean, I know that's it's a when coat, you but... smash two words together. Oh, okay, okay. Mm-hmm. A portman- oh, like a portmanteau, like two different, like a. Okay. Yeah, in French, does that mean put on a jacket? I don't know what manteau means, but I know what a portmanteau is. It's kind of like this, like a, a certain kind of jacket. Yeah. Yeah. Hey. I guess you're putting on a jacket of one word onto the well, body of another word. <laughs> you know, to, to, to relate this, I mean, I, I experienced, to get back to this issue of uh, responsibility and language and the, the COVID China, the COVID, uh, the COVID virus, uh, I remember growing. I remember coming of age in the 1980s, and uh, and I I, I kind of came out in college, and then the 80s kind of made me pull back a little bit, um, actually quite a bit, because mm-hmm. uh, AIDS AIDS was a raging uh, disease, and it was killing large numbers of the gay communities in different parts of the country. And um, it was being called the gay plague or gay-related syndrome or whatever. And it was being, you know, ascribed to a minority that felt very, very marginalized and at risk. uh, Because already so many people socially disapproved of gay people. Mm -hmm. And um, many many sort of started using language of like uh, retribution, God's retribution for being gay was the... God put this punishment upon you, right? Uh, so this is the the wages of sin. You know, this is what you earned for being so sinful, and ascribed a morality to it, and um, that was so wrong. It was so wrong uh, to think about what a young gay person, uh, well, my age or people younger, um, how this is going to affect them. Mm-hmm. Fortunately. We got to a place where we stopped calling it the gay plague or gay-related syndrome, or um, it it was known as HIV. Mm-hmm. It was it was a very straightforward description uh, of the, the HIV stands for human immuno. Um, what is? Does anyone d- know what d- that Immunodeficiency. For? Immunodeficiency. Yeah. Syndrome. Right. Virus. Yeah. Um, virus. HIV. So. Um, I, I think that may be even a, a kind of a good example uh, for why it's really not a good thing for us to, yeah. for any le- responsible leader to say, 
China virus. Yeah. Or you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So. Well, I mean, I, I feel like the the all the the homophobic language used initially served to also you know create maybe and that's maybe what we're seeing here is like you know distance and and create a, a situation where the powers that be did nothing about the the pandemic which i mean hopefully that's not what happens but there feels like things are heading in that direction oh are you saying because when you see it as only as something an, that something, affects something a, other. a marginalized group yeah. as opposed to everyone yeah well yeah. and also that distance by ascribing it to a different that it's it's as a disease associated with that group mm -hmm. has a negative yeah. a negative consequence in that it makes you think that you're not going to be yeah that it's not of imports to you and so there's a huge part of our population that still thinks hey we're overdoing it this is overblown um you know uh the economy matters more mm -hmm. um and it's really part of like this is really from china and um yeah. Uh, so, to take to take to make it less apart from you, uh, you are going to have to then think of it. Well, this really could mm -hmm. be transmitted to me. No, it's know? real. Um, whew, well, that lightened things right the fuck up. Um, <laughs> I'm. <s> <laughs> <laughs> Oh no no no! Not, I'm not not blaming no, you. No, we got so, there. So sorry, we got sorry. Light. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, hang, oh, hanging oh out gosh. with you guys, hanging out with you guys. So I got to be careful because I was listening to your podcast you know, just to see what it was going to be like before. And I said, "Guy, Andrew cusses a lot. He uses the f bombs a lot." And, <laughs> we'll, and we'll, we'll bleep that. To be honest with you, problem. I use I use f bombs like behind closed doors with my staff. I don't ever say I don't ever direct the f bomb to my staff, mm -hmm. but. <laughs> I I say this. I, I think I think Nancy Pelosi would be okay with me saying this because it's true. I mean, Aunt Nancy Pelosi never uses f bombs. Mm -hmm. um, in fact, I mean, she's she's still that mom from the 1960s. You know, my mom <laughs> is from the 1960s too. That just actually, my mom uses f bombs. <laughs> she, she raised four. She used four. She raised five, four boys, and so somehow. She lost that sort of uh, primness, uh, but but uh, 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 I've uh, there was one time during the summer last summer when the president of the United States was going to rallies and was more unhinged than usual, and we were on a conference call, and then she just sort of interjects. She says, "And by the way, POTUS has become a potty mouth." Potus has become a potty mouth, and I just, I, I just had to restrain myself from guffawing because I wasn't sure that my phone uh, was muted or not uh, while I was on that conference call. Uh, you know, but she, she came back from a meeting with the with the president one time, and uh, uh, and you know, her basic message to us was, you know, don't stoop to that level. And she says, and she says because. You know, as the saying goes, when you tinkle on a skunk, everybody gets smelly. Mm -hmm. And it's like, but the word tinkle is just so, <laughs> it's just so very. Tinkle. Okay, you get, so I mean, so I'm always, she set an example for me that I try to aspire to, which is, 
Well, Andrew, I mean, you, this is your podcast. You do what you want to do. <laughs> no, no, no. No, no, it's no. You. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah, yeah. And, and but it's not a judgment on you. I, I just was like, the danger of me going on this podcast is Andrew's <laughs> going to like lull me into this sense of like, I can use the F word. Yeah. And you're like in your house. Yeah. You're like, too home. comfortable. Yeah, exactly. No, exactly. no. Don't don't let me drag anyone into into the, <laughs> into my level. That's, no, <laughs> that's the worst place to be. Um, Congressman Takano, is it's there... also nice oh. to um, clean up our language and behavior a little bit for yeah. you, Congressman. It yeah. kind of feels like putting on a crisp pair of pants in the middle of a <laughs> pandemic. Mm-hmm. I'm glad I have that effect on you. <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. we we tried. This is this has been my cleanest episode yet. Maybe LeVar Burton, but other than that, cleanest episode. <laughs> we can't we can't take credit for it, but we'll take credit for it. <laughs> um, it came from deep within him, personally. Um, yeah, so uh, I think, yeah, Congressman Tagano, is there anything else you'd like to say to the folks before we wrap up? Uh, I really appreciate the, uh, the uh, issue or the topic, the topic that you and your listeners explore the question is it racism um because it is still a uh, a very a very very huge part of what we're struggling with as a country and as americans mm-hmm. um you know to try to keep uncovering layers and layers upon um what that means and I want to say that this show, uh, to me, is evidence that we are still, as Lincoln would say, uh, the last great hope on Earth. Oof. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, but I mean, the, the fact that you, no, I mean, you, you're you very self-deprecating and all that. But the fact that uh, what you're aiming for is to try and deconstruct um, and reconstruct uh, and analyze and uh, take a look at the ways in which race and racism, you know, exist in mm-hmm. our culture and our society and our history. Um, it's important, and we're not over it. I mean, yeah. um, I just got back from uh, I just got back from uh, Alabama, where I was on a pilgrimage. The annual pilgrimage that Congressman John Lewis does mm-hmm. uh, to Selma and to Montgomery and to Birmingham, and really Alabama, ironically, has become this place—a a place for a pilgrimage. I recommend every one of your listeners to actually just go on a pilgrimage to Alabama and go to the amazing museum that exists in—I think it's Birmingham, or it might be Mont—I get. My mm-hmm. sense of geography is a little bit jumbled now. But there's this wonderful memorial to uh, the uh, people who were lynched. And they, they, they um, have the whole memorial laid out by, uh, by uh, geography and which states and down to which county uh, that someone was lynched in. And... Um, it it, um, it it makes you understand um, a part of our nation's history in a way uh, you know that that is 
Very profound. I, mean, I remember going to, uh, to Europe and being compelled to go visit concentration campsites. Mm -hmm. And this, this memorial in our country is fairly recent. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, it was a holocaust. Mm -hmm. um, to think about the millions of lives, uh, the millions of people tortured and brutalized, and um, how that history sort of extends. I mean, just to know that there was a hundred year uh, reconstruction period and then Jim Crow, and mm -hmm. um, just how these decades are so. Um, uh, so compressed in my mind that that, that it's just yesterday. I, mean, I, I met on this trip. I met Ruby. I'm forgetting Ruby's last name at this moment. But you know the little the, the famous uh, uh, illustration of the little girl in New Orleans who's going to school mm -hmm. in a white dress. Oh, yeah. mm -hmm. She's being guarded by um, uh, Ruby Bridges. Uh, That's right. Ruby Bridges. Yeah, Ruby Lee Bridges or Ruby Bridges. Um, I saw her. She's you know I I. I I, I, I met her first in Normandy, and I'm in Normandy, France, and I met her again, um, saw her again, and reconnected with her. And uh, uh, to actually interact with these luminaries. I, you know, I interacted with some of the white young people who sat at the lunch counters mm -hmm. and practiced nonviolent uh, civil disobedience or non, took nonviolent non actions. Good trouble, as John Lewis likes mm -hmm. to say, call, called it good trouble. Um, John Lewis to me is a, is a, is a spiritual figure, mm -hmm. he's a spiritual leader. And uh, it's, to, to be in his presence is always an inspiration. Yeah. Uh, I would say he exudes optimism in a very profound way. I think that's, that's what I want to leave your listeners with is a sense of optimism that, that we're going to advance within this generation and the next generation. We're going to keep advancing um, what it means to relate to each other as human beings, um, mm -hmm. not ignoring race, um, but coming to understand the ways in which it separated us. Yeah. And uh, anyway. So long. Yeah, no. Thank you for that, Congressman. I think uh, optimism is something this show could use more of in general, uh, <laughs> even when we're not in the middle of a pandemic. <laughs> yeah, We can be pretty surly. So uh, it's nice to have someone um, looking towards the future in a positive way, even when things feel a little dire. Yeah. So thank you for that. that was I, I would say we have the moral, moral duty to be optimistic, mm -hmm. to, to be a citizen at this moment, that it's an act of morality uh, to be optimistic about our future. Mm -hmm. That's perfect. That's where that's where okay. it really is. Yeah. Thank you so much. That's really You're helpful. Welcome. Congressman, thank you so much for being on the show under these circumstances. Um, is there, is there anything, you know, people can do to find you or find more information or, or, you know, this is, Normally, this is a comedian plugging a Twitter account, so maybe yeah. this is, maybe this is well, like too. You can always engage me on my social media. Uh, uh, you can go on to Facebook. I'm under Rep uh, Mark Ticano. It's Rep Rep Mark Ticano. You can find me on Twitter at uh, Rep Mark Ticano. 
and uh, I have an Instagram page. I even started a uh, what's that? What's that? Uh, the the TikTok? Thing. You TikTok? Please, please say TikTok. TikTok. <laughs> oh yes. Yeah. I actually have a TikTok page. That's so, amazing. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm 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 on all those sort of platforms, so uh, you can find me there. Amazing. Takano. Yes. My bad. Not Takano. Takano. Takano in Spanish means cheap, but Takano. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much for being here. Uh, so thanks to uh, Congressman Takano for talking to us, um, you know, in these times. Um, that was really interesting, informative. And, you know, like he said, do good, be optimistic. And this is this is the way we show community. I think that I think helped me a lot. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. So thank you to the congressman. Thank you to Jordan and Kevin and Alex and everyone here for allowing us to record remotely and doing things weirdly. Andrew is now frozen and can't hear us. So I'm going to end the episode. Ha ha. The power is mine. Uh, call in 323-389-RACE with your racism questions. Uh, shout at me and Andrew on Twitter at, at Andrew T or at Trondy Newman. We're also on Instagram. Uh, at Yo, is this racist on all the things? And goodbye. We love you. Goodbye. Podswag has all the podcast paraphernalia you could ever hope for, like t-shirts, pins, bags, hats, candles, and special holiday collections. This holiday season, give the gift of Podswag by shopping their Black Friday sale. You can get 40% off from Friday, November 29th through Sunday, December 1st. Just go to podswag.com and use the code BLACKFRIDAY for 40% off the majority of items. That's podswag.com, offer code BLACKFRIDAY.